welcome back everybody to the Falling Star Wrestling Podcast. I'm your host, Patrick Vincent Crown, aka PVC, and I'm joined once again by my co-host and Falling Star Wrestling boss man, Jimmy Starr. This is episode 28 of the Falling Star Wrestling Podcast, and if you're listening to this episode at the time of release, myself and Jimmy, alongside a host of Falling Star Wrestlers, will be in action this Thursday, Thursday 29th of October, for Big Top Wrestling at the Tavern garden center in norwich under the russell's international circus tent for one night only we really hope to see you there because it's possibly going to be the only show that we're going to do for the rest of the year so we hope to see you there now today's episode is something slightly different jim approached me with a a theme and i thought it might be a cool idea We've each picked three random matches that really stood out to us for some reason or another. And today we're going to talk about the first two matches, and Jim goes first and I'll go second. We won't actually get around to all six matches today, because we didn't want this to go on too long, so these match reviews will be released over the next few weeks. Before we jump in with today's episode, please subscribe to the podcast on whichever platform you listen to it on, and also while you're there, give us a five-star rating. You can also hit us up on social media. Anyway, enough of me talking, on with today's episode. My first for three matches, which I uh, which I picked, I tried to pick um, three sort of different matches. They are three singles matches. They're all from the WWE. But I think the uh, the style and the story is quite different. So, But we'll, we'll get to that as, as we go along. But yeah, if I go, I'll, I'll, I'll crack on first for my first match. And my first match is from Fully Loaded 2000, which actually, if you go back and watch it, is an exceptionally solid pay-per-view. It's a really, really good pay-per-view. There's some amazing matches on it. A really good match on it is Triple H versus Jericho, and it's the last man standing match. That's a good match. And I think they tried. They tried their hardest to steal the show with that one. And they were on before uh, my first pick, and my first pick of a of a match that I think is a is a must see is The Rock versus Chris Benoit. Now, instantly you would sort of think that that's quite a clash of styles. I mean, The Rock was you know very sort of show orientated. You think of him more as a as a as a showman than you do you know an amazing an amazing wrestler. But and you think you think of Benoit as just this sort of um, well, you think of Benoit, unfortunately, tragically for for what happened to him at, at the end of his life. But what when when Benoit was arrested, you know, he was a sort of technical superstar. Never really did a great deal of you know showmanship. He was just a hardcore wrestler, really fast, really intense, amazing, amazing worker, but lacked a little bit there on on the showman skills sort of thing. So they already had, you know, already I thought. You know, when I when I watched this match first, because I remember watching it live. I, I I remember years ago, thinking this is either going to go really really well or really 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 badly, and they had a really hard match to follow because Triple H and Jericho was uh, a real steamer. I mean, it was a bloodbath. They used both the tables. They used every weapon. I think it was the last man standing match. So you know that was a main event in itself. So these two had a had a hard uh, had a hard, you know you know a hard act to follow, and plus they didn't have too much of a storyline going into it. So the storyline going into it was just um, Shane McMahon was with Benoit, 
um, for reasons I can't particularly remember. But they were just fucking with the rock, basically. So they were like uh, ripping up all of his shirts and shit like that, and obviously coming down to the ring and giving him a pasting. And you know, it wasn't a particularly great build-up to a match. Um, but at the start of the match, Shane McMahon comes out. Um, Benoit comes out. He's wearing one of the Rock shirts, really expensive shirts. It's all ripped up and shit. So you know, instant heat. And and one thing worth mentioning for this match as well, the crowd were really, really, really fucking eating it up. So you got to bear in mind they've just watched God knows how many hours of wrestling, and they're still up for this. So you know, just goes to show the star power in the match, really, especially with the Rock. Um, they go crazy when the Rock comes out. Um, obviously, he's he's big babyface at this point, and this was a year two thousand. I don't know about you, Shawnee, but I think that, you know, even though the Attitude Era was sort of, you're looking at sort of 98, 99, really, for Stone Cold's big, big sort of, uh, big push and, um, you know, everything being based around him. I loved the WWE in 2000 and 2001 when they started getting some of the WCW guys in and ECW guys in because you could have matches, you know. Yeah, when when the radicals came in with Chris Benoit, Eddie Guerrero, and um, you know those guys, it was it was sort of a revolutionary thing. And Chris Jericho came in, had the instant um, program with The Rock. It was it was just such a cool time to be in wrestling, and that was when I first got started. So that to me was all new and exciting. And you know, a few of these people and these matches that you're you know mentioning and stuff were do have a fond fond memory for me actually. Yeah, and, and and that was the thing, you know, you were watching dream matches that you thought you'd never see. And I think when the, because this wasn't too far removed from when the Radicals first came in. The Radicals first came in sort of February 2000. This show is around about September 2000, I'd say. I can't remember off the top of my head, but it's, it's you know, Benoit had probably been in the company about six months at this point, at this point. and I think at, Eddie Guerrero was suffering with a few injuries. Saturn and Malenko were just seen as sort of mid to lower carders at this point. Um, I think they're both on the show. I think they're both on this fully loaded show. I think uh, Dean Malenko wrestles Scotty Too Hotty, and I think um, Perry Saturn wrestles uh, S.A. Rios. And they're, they're, they're cool matches, but they were running with Benoit at this point, um, bunging in with Shane McMahon. Um, so the match itself was just a really cool match. It starts off like all Rock's matches do. Like Rock, I don't think Rock ever started a match with a lockup. It was a, you know, it was a bit of a distraction from Shane McMahon, and then Benoit started with the fucking heat instantly. Then Rock comes back, obviously with the punches and shit and blah blah blah. Shane McMahon was really good in this match, actually. Like outside, he 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 did he didn't take he added a lot to the match. He didn't take away from the match. A lot of the times when you've got a manager or a heater on the outside of the ring, they can sometimes take away from the match. But this is Shane McMahon, obviously his dad's been some man, knows exactly what's fucking going on, and it's not a problem. So, you know, um, great ideas on how they use Shane McMahon. The crowd are hot as fuck. Um, you know, some amazing cheating on it. Um, and another thing that was great about it was because the Rock was wrestling Benoit, um, he was doing things that he didn't normally do. Like, The Rock wasn't really known for a huge move set. He did his moves, and it pumped, pumped the crowd up. Like, he did his spine buster. He did his people's elbow. He'd do his Samoan drop. He'd do whatever. He'd do, some, he'd do some cool shit. 
But um, in general, he sort of stuck to his moveset. But I think Benoit pushed him a little bit. Or even if he, even if he didn't push him, you know, there was a chat backstage, you know, and, and they knew they had a hell of a match to follow. And uh, The Rock was going to have to sort of push himself a little bit more. So, like, The Rock was taking gut busters, superplexes, German, su- uh, German suplexes. He was taking just, just moves that he, he wouldn't normally take, you know. And bear in mind, this isn't a Mania match. This is fully loaded 2000 and, you know, pay-per-view. But it's not like, you know, a, a huge pay-per-view like a Survivor Series or something like that. And The Rock was doing moves like he didn't normally do. He was doing the figure four and, all, you know, stuff like that. And, you know, just getting good good heat and, you know, just, just really solid match. And, like, The Rock, I don't know if, 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 if you, you know, if you remember, like, but The Rock was an amazing bump taker when he was fit and, like, when he was in his prime and, and you know, his, his, his wrestling was at his best. Which I would say is round about this time, 2000, 2001. His bumps were just immense. He took an amazing bump outside. Um, he took amazing bumps in the ring. Just clean, superb bumps that made his opponent look awesome. So the Rock's bumps are worth mentioning. Just look out for his bumps. They just always looked really, really clean and, and neat, neat for me. Um, which is, uh, you know, which is obviously what you need to do to, to, to stop that injury. It was cool. But what was especially cool about the match was they did um, the dusty finish. Now, the dusty finish, for anyone who doesn't know what that means, is a finish that basically is known for Dusty Rhodes sort of inventing it. I don't know if he did invent it, um, but he used to use it a lot. So the finish of the match, um, the chairs got involved in the match somewhere or other. Uh, Shane McMahon got in the ring and smashed Earl Hebner in the fucking back. He was out for a little while. During this time, Rock was doing a little comeback, got Chris, Buck, Chris Benoit in his own move, crippled the crossface. So fucking Chris Benoit's selling like, motherfucker, the Rock's got him in the, in the, in the crossface. Um, the referee is El Hepner. He comes round. He thinks the rocks hit him in the back. Now, something I probably should have explained at the start was one of the rules of the match was um, the title could change hands through disqualification. So, um, obviously, there'd been a lot of skullduggery beforehand. So, they decided, right, you know, if someone cheats, the belt can still change hands, you know. Obviously, thinking that that would be Shane McMahon's tactic um, and Chris Benoit's. So, essentially, Chris Benoit's just won it. Uh, Earl Hebner thinks that The Rock has hit him with a chair when it was Shane McMahon. He rings the bell. The crowd go mental because they think that The Rock has just run it, won it with a crossface. Um, then he gets announced over the, over the, uh, over the tunnel, over the mic, that uh, the title has changed hands. Chris Benoit fucking, and Shane McMahon, happy as Larry grab the belt, start to walk backstage. And this was at the time when Mick Foley was commissioner. Do you remember that? Oh, yeah, yeah. I remember that quite distinctly, actually, yeah. Yeah, and he was awesome. And he came out looking like he was taking it seriously. He came out looking like, you know, angry as hell. Got on the stick and, um, yeah, uh, basically just said, you know, I certainly didn't see no disqualification. The crowd didn't see no disqualification. So we're going to restart the match. 
So they restarted the match, and that's where the dusty finish comes from, where one the heel wins the title or the heel wins the match in some way, shape, or form, and then someone comes out, whether it be a ref, whether it be a commissioner, whether it be a manager or, or whatever, and basically shows the referee that they you know what they thought happened didn't happen, so they restart the match. Yeah, they go go into it for a couple of minutes, then the rock just hits the rock bottom out of nowhere, one, two, three, wins the match. He gets a bit of colour as well, the rock. He's got a bit of colour. He's got a bit of uh, a bit of juice. Got a bit of blood running down his face because um, during the whole uh, affair where um, well, Hepner got hit in the back with a chair, Shane McMahon hit the rock in the face too. So there's a decent bit of colour. So when when that was when the WWE was allowed to use hit people with chairs and use loads of blood stuff like that. A bit more of an adult product, but. Um, the reason I picked the match is just because, you know, a couple of reasons. One is that I think it could have gone quite horribly wrong, but they were both amazing workers. And they, I think Benoit worked a little bit more towards a rock style. There were no rest holds. The match was 25 minutes of just pure, pure fucking adrenaline. They were going for it. Like they were just absolutely going for it. Um, the some amazing moves, amazing false finishes. I didn't see a mistake in it. I saw um, The Rock using moves that he's never done before. Um, I saw Chris Benoit because Chris Benoit is small, right? He's like five six, whatever five seven. The Rock's about six three, six four. But you never looked at Benoit in that match. It's a small man. Do you know what I mean? Like, you never looked at Benoit and thought, he couldn't do this guy. He couldn't beat The Rock. Like, Benoit, no matter how small he was, always looked like he could kick anyone's ass. The intensity was there. Um, the It wasn't a particularly violent match, although there was a few chairs involved in the end. They didn't rely too heavily on gimmicks because the match, obviously, before did, being a last-man-standing match. Um, it was... I think another reason I picked it is because they had such a hard act to follow. Um, and I just didn't think uh, this might be possible. They're not going to be able to follow the Jericho and Triple H. That was amazing. But they did. They followed it. And um, I think they bettered it. It was a, it was a good story, well told. And, um, yeah, just a, just a hell of a match. And if you, if you want to see The Rock at his best, at his fittest, um, and just in his prime, I think this is probably, I think it's probably up there with one of the Rock's top three matches in terms of, of terms of quality of wrestling, um, crowd reaction and, and story. But the problem is it'll always be buried in the past because of, of you know, how Benoit's life, life ended. Um, you know, and there's a lot of matches like that that Benoit was in that, that just were forgotten about. But, if you obviously, you know, it's quite hard to look, look past what, what Benoit did, but if you just look at the match as a match and just think about the, the you know, the, the, the storytelling aspect of wrestling, um, it was a, it was a corker and it was an amazing pay per view. Go back and watch the whole pay per view. It's like there's not one bad match on it. I don't think it's an awesome show that builds up really nicely. But um, but yeah, they they had a hard act to follow. They followed it, and it just it, the match just fucking kicked ass. That's the, that's the reason I chose that. So that was my first.
pick. Fully loaded 2000, Rock versus Benoit, main event. Just give it a watch and, uh, yeah, let us know if you think it's think it's any good because I really do think it's an absolute fucking steamer. Nice. Yeah, I don't really remember that match sort of too much. But um, when you when you mentioned about sort of Shane McMahon and the, the torn shirts and stuff, that does bring back a few memories. And I do actually distinctly remember WWE back then doing a few of those, what you so called dusty finishes. And I think... Triple H and Jericho did one like on a Monday Night Raw that was very similar like Jericho came out and challenged Triple H won the belt and then they reversed it and then he came back and then he won it later on and then I think that's when he went on to do his sort of undisputed champion type thing or or there or thereabouts anyway. Yeah, yeah. They used to do quite a few dusty finishes I think um, you know uh, it was a uh, it, it's, it's, it's you know it's, it's well used within the wrestling business but um but in this particular match, um, it worked. It worked really well because I remember watching it at the time and thinking, "Shit, Benoit's won!" Like, I mean, it, it, they just they just did it right. They did it perfectly, and it was. Um, and because you cared about the wrestlers and you cared about the result, um, you know, it it really did work. A dusty finish like that will only work if you care, actually care about the result and care about the story and care about the men in the match. Um, you know, when I remember when I was younger watching it, thinking, yeah, cool, fuck, Benoit's won the belt, awesome. Because, you know, I, I liked The Rock, but I wasn't, like, he wasn't my biggest fan. I would have been quite happy to see Benoit have that have that title change. But when Foley came down and, you know, and, and announced that, that they had to restart, I thought, oh, fuck, here we go. But, um, you know, it, it, and they started the match and it, you know, went hot again. And the crowd just absolutely went bananas. You know, they loved The Rock at this point. He was the he was the the, the heel, uh, sorry, the baby face of the of the company. And it just, uh, yeah, it just all of it just just worked. And it and it was, um, you know, and another thing I just want to mention as well, the commentary from Jr. and uh, Jared King Lawler was awesome. It made the match um, it made the match so much more exciting. This was when JR and King were totally on form. Um, you know, uh, there's been obviously some, you know, uh, complaints about JR's uh, commentary in AEW at the moment because he keeps getting people's names wrong and he's a bit slurry and he's a bit, obviously, a bit old and, you know, he's not quite sort of keeping up with things. Um, but he was in his prime here and he was amazing and so was Lawler. So, you know, they, they, they made the match that much better as well it was just everyone was just on form everyone was just on form not a mistake made and um yeah just a just a beautiful wrestling match with uh, with a really cool finish and you know the proper amount of disturbance outside um from the uh, from shane mcmahon it just it just yeah it just just worked a treat so uh I'd advise you to go back and have a look and watch Shawnee and I'd advise uh, any of the, our listeners to uh, to watch it. And uh, again, if you've got any comments, just uh, just put them on uh, just put them on whatever platform you listen to this on and on the on the link below. And uh, yeah, let let me know whether you uh, whether you think it's any good or not. Because uh, yeah, I think it's I think it's great. 
So what was your what was your uh, first choice? So the first match that sort of sprung to mind um, was a match that took place in 2011 at Money in the Bank. It was um, John Cena versus CM Punk for the WWE Championship. Now, I don't know if you remember around this time, there was this whole thing with um, CM Punk and he was sort of this anti-authority character which you know almost harkens back to the to the era of the 2000s like you mentioned with Stone Cold being the anti-authority figure the anti-hero you know doing sort of heelish things but people just absolutely loving him and um the crowd in this match played a huge factor in the atmosphere because this match took place in Chicago, which is CM Punk's hometown. So he was sort of this anti-hero character, but the crowd absolutely ate him up. And of course, John Cena, for however many years, has been this guy that you love to hate. So unless you're, I don't know, like 10, 12 years old, you're cheering for John Cena because he's this larger than life hero. He's the, you know, he goes around, he kisses babies, he shakes hands, he he does all the you can't see me and all that kind of stuff. But you could tell that this audience was just full of sort of teenagers and angsty men that were just they're rabid for CM Punk and it just created this atmosphere of like almost danger in the crowd. You just didn't know what was happening. And um, the build-up to this match was just amazing. The the pipe bomb promo, which just kind of set this whole thing off. It was Cena versus CM Punk. They're having this rivalry and CM Punk's, you know, I want this and I want that. I feel like I'm the best wrestler in the world. I want to be on T-shirts and cups and posters and all you use is John Cena. And his contract was coming to an end. And then he drops this pipe bomb and the whole wrestling world just goes crazy. Myself, you know, knowing it's it's sort of partially a work and partially sort of scripted, but it came across as this real thing. And that's the thing that is missing in wrestling quite a lot, especially in WWE. It's just this, this realism. And he did this and his contract was going to be up and then... He was having this rivalry with John Cena and John Cena said, right, okay, I'll give you one more match. And if you can take this title off me, you know, you'll go off into the sunset, you'll leave WWE and you'll be the WWE champion. And then Vince McMahon gets involved and there's a whole thing. And he says, well, Cena, yep, you can have this match. But if you lose, you're out of the WWE. So there are just real stakes within this match. And, you know, normally you'll watch a match and you'll be like, oh, loser leaves town or whatever. And you normally know if somebody's out of their way on, you know, going to leave the company you just sort of think oh no what the what the outcome's going to be or you know hair versus hair match you know the person that's probably slightly balding at that time is going to lose their hair not the guy with the with the luscious long locks so in in this match you thought well okay if CM Punk wins he wins and he takes the title and he leaves and you're like oh what's going to happen to that and added into that John Cena is is fired as well and you're thinking Hang on, that's not going to happen, is it? That's not good. They they can't do this double thing and then leave, you know, Monday Night Raw and turn up. You don't have a champion and you don't have John Cena. But anyway, we'll get to the the, the finish in 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 the end. But it this match made the WWE title feel relevant, and that's another thing that I think is lacking in in wrestling these days. You know, titles seem to be handed to each and every one. They kind of get hot shotted around, and then you're like, well, who's the champion? And you and if you don't know, then Obviously, it's not as relevant as that. But um, the match itself just had this huge build-up. It was a little bit botchy at times, um, but I don't think that really mattered at all because we've talked about it in previous podcasts. If you just kind of get on with it and you just treat it as this sort of organic, real thing, I think p- 
people just go, all right, yeah, that, that crossbody wasn't exactly executed to a 100% standard, but you just kind of, you just go with it because there was a point where CM Punk did his springboard crossbody and John Cena was just probably a step back too far and he sort of landed on Cena's knees. But then Cena, the professional he is, and I don't think he really gets enough credit for this, he just instantly sort of sold his knees if it had been sort of buckled. And you're like, oh, that, that, and it added a little bit of interest into the match because you're like, oh, I don't actually know if he's selling or not. Because he, he just sort of scoots over to the side and sits on the edge of the ring. And you're like, oh, I don't actually know. And, and me personally, having knee issues before, I was just like, oh, mate, he could have actually tweaked his knee there and they actually played into the match which I think just goes to show that sort of these things that you can call on the fly in the middle of a match just just make these guys like two of the best workers at that time in in this match that was just filled with just anticipation as to what's going to happen they also had some also because because um John Cena was hated so much at that time if whatever botch would have happened the crowd would have blamed on him, like the smart marks that were in the crowd who who maybe would have known that that, that that was a bit of a mistake. They would have blamed it on John Cena and they would have just got more heat anyway and it would have been louder anyway. So it, it, it really didn't matter. They would like, I, I remember that match and I just remember obviously the, the CM Punk's home, hometown, they were absolutely fucking rabid. And John Cena could he couldn't do anything right, like it doesn't anyway. So it was it was cool. It just it just a, a botch a botch wouldn't have mattered in that match at all. It would have it would have either just been you know not noticed by the casuals or by the marks. It would have been blamed um, smart marks. It would have been blamed on John Cena. So it's uh, yeah, a botch in that match is uh, probably a good thing, especially like you say, especially if it if it. If it allowed a, an extra little bit of uh, a little like the story with the with the knee injury, you know. Yeah, yeah, it totally did. It didn't take anything away from it, and it sort of felt a bit more scrappier and a bit more kind of real. And there was a few sort of really incredible sequences in the match. There was one; it was another crossbody sequence, and I don't know whether they were meant to do it earlier on, but CM Punk goes up again. He does the crossbody, and John Cena sort of rolls backwards lifts him up in this kind of feat of strength that, that John Cena does, puts him up on his shoulders and goes for the AA. CM Punk slips down behind, reverses him, gets him up for the GTSO in the similar sort of Samoan drop position. And then as he sort of lifts him up to kind of give him the knee to the head, Cena then reverses it into the STF. And they, the, the crowd just went, oh, what? Because they just didn't expect that to happen. And that was a nice organic thing. And then he's got him in the STF and, and Punk selling his ass off. And you're thinking, oh, could this be the thing? And then he gets an arm through and then he rolls it around and he gets him in the Anaconda Vice. And the crowd just roared, you know, and... <laughs> And I feel I feel like sort of big moves, high flying moves get a lot of sort of notoriety from people and you hit a big slam, people go, wow, but just a, a simple reach through and grab around into, you know, uh, CM Punk's signature submission just got the crowd so hot and um then, you know, in a in a match of this magnitude, we go to the near falls and there wasn't loads of them. There were a few of them, but I feel like a match of this kind of caliber needed a few good near falls. And these guys absolutely nailed every one of them. And they wasn't always their finishing maneuver. It could have been just sort of something as simple as Cena goes up for his sort of leg drop off the top. 
Punk catches him in a powerbomb, one, two, kick out at two and a half, and, and the crowd were there. So it made me feel like, oh, he could have actually won it off of that move that wasn't his sort of finishing move. And then we actually get down to sort of towards the end because Vincent Mann's involved in this and he knows that if Punk wins, he takes the title and leaves. He comes out and he's looking very concerned. He then gets John Laurinaitis, who's the sort of general manager at the time, and he goes, go down there and ring the bell. Because in the in the video package, they actually mentioned sort of the, the Montreal screwjob, yeah. how like Vincent Mann will do anything to keep the title within his company because he did the same thing to Bret Hart because he knew he was going to WCW and didn't want to, to drop the title. So sort of Laurinaitis is running down the ring and then you don't, quite see it but Cena just slips out the side and just clotheslines him and you're like oh I thought there's going to be a whole sort of kerfuffle there and Cena's like no it's not going to happen like this I want you know I want to beat him I want to send CM Punk on his way you know and then he gets back in the ring and boom GTS and you're thinking oh he's going to win it one two kick out of the last minute and I was just like oh mate and then you know a little bit of back and forth Cena then gets a near four and you think oh, okay right yeah Cena's gonna win this one two punk kicks out and you're like oh my god I can't believe it and then they go on for a sort of not not quite too long and then punk hits this GTS pins in one two three and you're thinking wow I actually expected sort of probably seven or eight, nine, ten near falls because that's sort of what you're used to in these kind of matches. You feel like you can't get the crowd on your side unless you do like 85 attitude adjustments off the top rope followed by a 450 splash and all this kind of thing. But it was just sort of a simple go to sleep, hits him, nails him, one, two, three. Sam Punk picks up the victory, grabs the title and just sits in the middle of the ring with this uh, shit-eating grin on his face. The crowd are lapping up, just going... I have no idea what's going to happen now because, and the, and the commentators actually make note of it. They go, oh, there's one hour and 45 minutes left on CM Punk's WWE contract. What's he going to do? He's now the, the WWE champion. And then at this point, you're like, okay, all right, CM Punk's the winner. And then Vincent Mann comes down, he grabs the headset and he's like, no, no, I'm not going to have it like this uh, because Alberto Del Rio just won the Money in the Bank uh, ladder match earlier on in the show obviously had the contract he's like get Alberto down here get Alberto down here and you're thinking oh they're gonna kind of skimp out and have Alberto cash in and take the title and CM Punk will just leave and then Alberto comes in Punk you know uh, manages to sort of basically escape and hit Alberto and then just escapes through the crowd which I thought was a really cool way of ending the pay-per-view because you know the crowd absolutely loved Punk anything he did so Punk left through the same crowd that supported him the whole way through, you know, and the establishment tried to do everything they could to beat this anti-hero. And he just left through the crowd with a big smile on his face with, you know, the boss there sort of stamping his feet, Alberto not sure what's going on and John Cena just in absolute disbelief. And that for me, uh, we actually spoke a little while ago uh, on an early episode of the podcast, like a match that ended and then the next night was Monday Night Raw. And I remember actually going to a friend's house and watching Raw live, even though you know I had to be up at seven o'clock the next day. But I was like, right, I need to go there, 1am. I need to watch the whole of Raw. I need to know what, what's happening. You know, CM Punk's got the title. How are they going to do this? John Cena has been fired. I just don't know, you know. So we, we tuned in the next night and it was, it was a very exciting time for probably a couple of months around that whole thing. And then they kind of messed the whole thing up. But, you know, it doesn't take away from this match at all. And I just absolutely love this match. Well, the thing about the thing about this match is I, I don't remember. Obviously, I don't, you watched it, and, and you know it's, it's fresher in your head. But 
the thing I remember about this match, which I loved, it was obviously they did did a decent bit of time. They they had to. Um, I remember the pipe bomb promo, um, and uh, so I, I love that promo. But the thing I hated about that promo is it started the word pipe bomb. So every time everyone promo seemed slightly realistic, the word pipe bomb was thrown around by the marks, and it drove insane. But anyway, the the, the promo was brilliant. Um, this, like you say, the setup was brilliant. The commentary was really good as well because they were getting across the importance that if CM Punk won this, he can do anything with the title that he likes and what's the future of the WWE. So it was almost more like, you know, it's not just these two guys, it's the WWE that's that's totally in the, you know, in the hands of these two wrestlers. What the fuck's going to happen? So obviously you're thinking, well, John Cena's got to win. But then, you know, the match is really exciting, blah, blah, blah. And when CM Punk does win, you're like, shit. Like, right, what, how are we going to get the storyline? You know, because you, you know as a wrestler yourself, you know that, you know, he obviously signed his contract a little bit before and because they wouldn't have let him do it otherwise. But, you know, we don't know that as fans. And you just, yeah, you just thought, shit, Christ, how are they going to make this work? And I can't remember what they did, to be honest with you, going forward. But I do remember that match getting five stars and being uh, hailed as one of the, the, the matches, or if not the best match of the year. Um, I think it unfortunately came, no, it didn't. It was 2011, so it wouldn't have came the same year as uh, Undertaker and, uh, and, and um, Shawn Michaels. But it was, still, it was still probably match of the year. Um, and uh, yeah, just and, and another thing I liked about it as well, I, there was no gimmicks used, was there? There was no chairs and shit, there was nothing like that. It was just a pure wrestling match that with two people who genuinely looked like they were trying to win. Yeah, that, I, I agree with you. That was a that was a, that was a stunning match, and uh, and I think it's still revered that way. I know Punk's name is a bit bit quite dirty in WWE. But you know that was that was definitely one of his best. And and again, you just mentioned John Cena. Like people always used to shit on him and say that he couldn't couldn't work, couldn't wrestle. Fucking watch that match. Do you know what I mean? Like John Cena's amazing. John Cena. John Cena was the best wrestler in the world at that point, and he was the best wrestler for years after the match he was he was having with Seth Rollins and Kevin Steen and all those guys. Like he for for. for for years, for for a decade, he was the best wrestler they had, and he he doesn't get enough credit for his actual in ring work. I don't think John Cena, because he, he was amazing in that. Yeah, I totally agree. Uh, similar to your thoughts with The Rock, he does he doesn't have a massive move set, but what he does have is incredible, impeccable timing. He has this ability to be able to garner emotion from each and every individual in the crowd whether you're a nine-year-old girl or a 40-year-old man or a you know the wife of a a, a spotty teenager or whatever there's going to be somebody either saying let's go Cena or Cena sucks and it's very rare that you get a hundred percent attention on you as a wrestler because a lot of people like oh they have the hardcore fans or you know they like this kind of thing but Cena eyes are on him so you, you can't you can't say anything about that he's just incredible well, you you look at the rock like you know just just going back to him he got a shitty fake looking elbow drop over as a finish you know what I mean and people bought it and loved it and because he did it with such intensity with eyes bulging out of his head 
You know, he was always spitting and swearing and fucking, you know, just just looked like he was he was insane. And um, you know, he, 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 you know, to be able to get something like that over, you know, you you you've you've got to be a you've you've got to be a pure genius. All right, our reviews of two matches that we highly recommend. The Rock versus Chris Benoit from Fully Loaded and CM Punk versus John Cena from Money in the Bank 2011. Have you guys out there seen those matches? What did you think to them? Hit us up on social media, Facebook and Instagram. It's at Falling Star Wrestling and let us know. If you want to find my good buddy and boss man on Facebook, he's there at Jimmy Star Wrestler. And if you'd like to find me, I'm at PVC Pro Wrestler. If we don't see you guys this Thursday at the Big Top in Norwich, we'll see you guys next week, same time, same place, for another episode of the Falling Star Wrestling Podcast. Take care.